Well, good morning. One of these days, I'm just going to be really smooth in these transitions. I go, well, I have arrived, but I'll be in heaven and it won't matter. <laughs> um, I want to start out um, just telling you a couple true stories. Uh, they're not metaphors, they're not parables, they're true stories, and each one's going to have a, uh, like a lesson, and I'm going to bring them together, and then we're going to run through what that lesson could mean in our lives. Um, I don't think I've ever said this about a particular message, but if you grab this message, I guarantee it'll change your life. Uh, I know Mike's had great messages when I've been here. You know, I'm sure I've had a couple pretty good ones. This might be the most important message you'll ever hear. Um, and I'm, believe me, I don't have a lot of pride when I'm saying it. I just know that what, 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 what God wants to download to us, it can change everything. So I'm intentionally putting all this pressure on myself. I've got to be really good now. Um, oh, years ago, uh, my heart and my eyes and everything else got turned to this lady called Becky. And I'm going, God, you want uh, me, her? Are you kidding? She's so nice. And Anyway, um, I decided to pursue her. And even though I was, you know, at least in terms of years, I was an adult, um, I made sure I did it the right way. How I did it was I surrounded myself with people who knew me and still loved me, right? They could speak into my life. And I said, how, do I, how should I go about doing this? It would have been really easy for me to go, well, I'm an adult, come on now. I'm not a kid. But I decided I'm going to have guys speak into me. And they said, look, if you really care, you know, I'll, you know, it's not mandated, but why don't you go check out her parents? And before you take any serious steps, introduce yourself to them. So, I missed you too. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, so... Uh, I did. I, her, her father was dead, so I went to her, to her mother. And, I, you know, I'm Ben Goodman. And she sort of knew about me, um, mainly because I'd ministered umpteen times to that church. And she thought, like, we are going to have a private time of, like, she's going to get a prophetic word or something like that. And we went to Starbucks, and I said, listen, I can't say for sure, but my heart is turned toward your daughter. And, you know, we're friends. We know each other, but... Um, I'd like your permission uh, to consider, you know, just developing a relationship with her. And before I take any steps, um, if you have any questions between now and forever, have at it. Have at it. And she's looking at me going, oh, good. He's a minister and he's honest, you know. She was so excited. And we spent hours. She asked questions, you know. And it, it, it was sort of uncomfortable. But it was really, really good. And he said, she goes, go ahead develop a relationship, you know, she's a good girl, you know, she's a big girl, she knows what she's doing, but go ahead. So I did, and so I'm asking my guys, okay, check that box, what's the next thing? And they go, well, look, we live in America, and, you know, if you really love her, you know, one of the things you can do is you can tell her th that you love her. I go, oh, it's too soon. Well, in America, what you could do, you could sort of represent your heart toward her by getting her flowers, and I go, what kind? I mean, this is just what an idiot I was. What kind? And they go, well, we're in America. Roses. Red ones. And I go, check. So I remember the first time I got, I, I didn't get a dozen roses. I thought that was overkill. I just got a few roses. 
and just came over to visit. You know, we'd been, you know, spending time together, talking, and anyway, I just gave her some red roses, but I didn't say, hey, I love you. I just gave them to him. You know, I was thinking of you. Hope you like him. She was like this, but she's freaking out, you know, because she's sitting there going, well, we talk about it later. She's going, all right, are these red roses, do they mean what I think they mean, or is he just getting me red roses? What to do? I, I want to remain a man of mystery, right, <laughs> at least for a couple minutes. So I do it, and then, uh, then later, um, I told her I loved her, and she said she loved me back, and I'm going, and so then, there, it wasn't a habit, but like every few weeks, I would get her uh, roses. And every time I gave her the roses, she would go, oh, Ben, these are so nice. I mean, she's upper northwest, mellow, laid back, like for real, for sure, kind of person. So she doesn't usually get all that excited anyway. So I give it to her, and she smiles, and thank you so much. She put them in a prominent place. Her friends would come over. She'd go, look at what my Ben got for me. And I, I'm, I, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So I, I, uh, I, w- I kept on doing this, giving her roses, and she, thank you so much, and it really touches my heart and all this. I, I, I'm, I'm all that. So, you know, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, which I still think there was something wrong with her for saying yes. But she said yes anyway, and these guys that I had said, listen, buddy, you know, what, what, what you catch someone with, you better... That's how you got to keep her. I mean, you got to show her that you love her, not just to get her, but to, to grow the relationship. I go, check, you're right, absolutely. And right now, there's a whole bunch of ladies who want to do like this to their husbands. <laughs> but in any case, so what I did is I just made sure, you know, especially if I had to go on a trip, I'd send her roses with a really nice flower, and she'd always like it. So uh, I'm being a good guy. I'm being a good American Christian husband. I'm just getting her flowers, red roses, because that's the highest expression of love, right? Then, I, then I'm hanging out with my mother-in-law, who, again, she is easily the best mother-in-law in the whole world. She's a counterexample to every bad joke about mother-in-laws. She, I mean, she's godly, she doesn't interfere, and she likes me. So anyway, we're, we're having this conversation in her backyard. I was helping Becky build a one of those elevated gardens, and because she likes gardening and flowers and stuff, and she, and her, mo- her mother-in-law just started bah, 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 Becky and telling me stories that, gosh, I wish I'd known before. No, I mean she just telling nice things about Becky, and then she goes, and of course you know that Becky's favorite flower are white Easter lilies. You know, and I just registered that. I'm going, well, she's American, and she's a woman, and she's a Christian. What about the red roses, right? And uh, so I waited a couple weeks, and I went and got her Easter lilies, those nice white ones. Go, here. You you know Becky. Can you imagine Becky going, oh! No, that's what she did. Oh, right? She's bright and shiny. Oh, oh, got to find something. And I'm going, why didn't someone tell me this? And so I, um, she was really, really touched, really happy. She, and then uh, later that night, she goes, thank you so much. for Those Those are really nice. They smell so good. They look beautiful, blah, 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 blah. And I go, you know, those are my favorite. I go, actually, honey, I didn't know that till a few weeks ago. Really? Yeah, I was talking to your mom, and she told me. And I said, honey, why didn't you tell me? And she, and she wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. She just looked at me and smiled and says, you didn't ask. 
Here I was, I had a genuine heart to express my love to my wife. And I had all these ideas and principles and things that I knew I could do, but it hadn't occurred to me to ask her what her love language was. I assumed it was red roses, but actually it was lilies. So just take that, hold on to that. Oh gosh, maybe, I guess it's going to be close to 25 years, now close to 30 years ago. I was a new Christian and I was enjoying just loving God and I'm walking down a street in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, just sort of enjoying myself. And when I chew gum, I usually put at least three pieces in my mouth. I want something substantial and the sugar rush. So I, I just, but have you ever just, eating your gum to the point where it's no longer soft and there's no longer any sweetness to it and you're just chewing and your, your jaw muscles start cramping because it's so... Mm. So I'm, I'm just walking, I'm going... Mm, mm, and it was too big to swallow. I had to get rid of this. <laughs> Seriously, I had a, a wad in there. It was too big to swallow. And I'm looking around and I can't find a garbage can. You know, so what I did is I just looked around while I'm walking, and as far as I knew, nobody was looking at me. And I just went and just threw it in the bushes. I confess it, I did it, I littered. So I must have walked maybe 10 paces, and the Holy Spirit just speaks, uh, just speaks to my heart. And he says, go pick up the gum. And, and I'm going to tell you my journey, okay? I threw the gum in there, and God says over here, pick up the gum. And I went, surely, being the creator and ruler of the universe, you got better things to do than pointing out something so dumb as go pick up the gum. You know, it's in the bushes, it's biodegradable, and in 3,000 years, nobody will ever know. <laughs> I mean, I'm having this conversation. And I walk a few more paces, and again, go pick up the gum. And I didn't know that my will, my ideas, and God's will are on a collision course, right? And I'm having this conversation. I know it's the Lord saying, go pick up my gum. I'm going, Lord, come on, that's just, you know, it was, it was, there was no use to it. I'm having this negotiation. And then a little later he goes, go pick up the gum. He's not yelling at me. He's not screaming at me. He's not saying, go pick up the gum or else. He's not, he's just go pick up the gum. And now I get to a place where I, I, I think I've got him. I think I've got him. Surely, Lord, you know, this gum is not that important. And uh, I know that you died for all my sins, including the sin of negligence. And, I, and so really, it, you know, from my position in Jesus, it's all good anyway. So what's the point of getting the gum? I mean, this is what I'm doing. And I figured I've cut a mutual non-aggression pact with the creator of the universe. So I'm going forward. And then he just changes up on me. Instead of saying, go pick up the gum, he goes, do you love me? I mean, I, I was stopping my tracks. I'm going, ah, that is not fair. <laughs> Here it is. There's my will colliding with God's will. I know he's smarter, but I know he's merciful and he's kind. And he died for all my sins. Surely, you know. And I, I figure it's a matter of right or wrong, doing good and all that sort of stuff. But then God brings it to what really the issue is, do you love me? 
And I'm going, you know, how do you argue with that? You know, like, no or not enough to go pick up the gum. I mean, there's no right answer on my side. So I went, you know, and on the way back, I'm going, this is really inconvenient because I really don't know where I threw the gum. And then when I find the gum, I mean, if I find the gum, I'm going to be there for a while looking for it. And people in Chapel Hill, North Carolina are so friendly. Someone walks by. They go, hey, what are you doing? You need help? And then I'm going to have to tell them what I'm doing. They'll think I'm a crazy person. This is crazy. Well, the mercy of God, I got the general idea. And with like a minute, I found that wad of gum. It's now nasty. I mean, it's just got some leaves and some dirt on it. And I just, and you know, my saliva. So I picked that thing up. And I'm holding on to it, and I'm walking, and I got to the very corner, and there was a basket, and I threw it away. Even thinking about it makes me want to do this. I believe that out of sincere hearts, we have a love for God. And there's so many things that we do to show our love for God, right? But actually, God's love language God's love language is obedience. God's love language. It's, it's not human love language, but God's love language is obedience. That when, you know, we could do all these things and he appreciates it. Oh, thank you for worshiping me. Thank you for going to Bible study. Thank you for reading your Bible. These are all good, right? Thank you so much. But when we obey, when we give him his lilies, then he goes, yeah. God's love language is obedience. And before I go on to talk about what it is, I want to say what that doesn't mean. Because many times, many times, obedience is viewed by many as like a four-letter word. Though, technically, it can't be. It's a lot longer. But obedience does not mean perfection. Obedience does not mean getting it right. Many of the things that God tells us to do, not asks us, tells us to do. He does it quietly, does it gently, not necessarily in a threatening way, but the things he tells us to do, many of those things we've never done before, like learn how to be a good husband, or learn how to, or tithe for the first time. You go, oh man, I know I'm going to mess this up. That's not the issue. The issue is simply, will you just do it, get the train out of the station? You know, there's, there, there, there are things that God asks us to do or encourages us to do or tells us to do that are a little scary, they're out of our comfort zone, or we failed before when we did it, and God's saying, let's go around the mountain, let's do it again, and you're going, ah, right? And he is not expecting perfection. He's not, because, I mean, what, what is, if you do something and it's perfect, again, rejoice, because you're in heaven, right? But until then, you just, do what God's leading you to do and learn from it. Learn how to get better. So the first thing is that to obey is not to get everything right. That's very important for us. The second is that whether or not we obey has nothing to do with God's love for us. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. If after this message you go, I see it, I know I won't be perfect, but my heart's been turned. And whatever opportunity, even if I mess up, I'm always going to go forward and I'm going to obey God. God will not love you anymore 
than he currently loves you right now. Or if you go, who's this guy? You know, obedience. God loves me, and you know, if it's convenient, I'll obey, but I'm going to live my life, and when I go to heaven, I'll have a small jacuzzi, and you know, it won't be, you know, I won't have a big mansion, but I'm good. God won't love you any less than he loves you right now. God's love is not on the table when it has to do with obedience. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. There's nothing you can do to take away from that, and there's nothing you can do to increase or move on that. The issue is not his love for us. The issue is our love for him. And there are all these things we can do, and it's really great. God, it's like my wife, really, in a lot of ways. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But if we just ask God, what's your love language? What's your love language? What are your lilies? He's so simple that we just forget about it. We just go, oh my gosh, I did not know that it was that simple. I'm going to bring you through just a couple of scriptures. Not to beat you over the head, but to be able to, I mean, it, there's something about if you love God, you want to know what pleases him. And, and what really pleases him, what his love language is, what his lilies are, is just simple obedience. That's what makes him go, ooh. I mean, he doesn't actually do that, but it's, there's something about, that's how we show our love for God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, um, here, put it this way. You know fish, fish, well, fish are, they live in the water. And if you take them out of the water, they just sort of flop around. They're still fish. But if you put them in the water, they, they, they're probably not even aware that they're in the water. They just sort of, why? Because they are made... They're created to live in the water. They got the gills and all. That's what they're made to do. And when they're swimming in the water, it's, they're most fully who they are. Okay? Did you know that when Jesus chose us, he chose us for a number of reasons. He said, I, I love you. I want you to be part of my family. I love you because I want you to live with me forever in heaven. I love you, I choose you, and there's a whole bunch of things. I have a plan for you, your life. I created you. I have works for you. He, he chose us for a whole bunch of reasons. One of the things he chose us to do is to obey. You've been chosen for obedience to God. In other words, when you get born again, guess what? Your basic DNA changes just a little bit, and, and it's like it's who you are. I mean, the world and your, your old flesh says, no, that's really hard. But when you're born again and you're born by the Spirit, there's something in you that says, I'm, I am, I've been chosen, I've been created, I've been born to follow Jesus. It may still be difficult, but it's like, this is what I was made for. We've got to get that in our head, that when we are genuinely born again, something happens to our inner DNA. Something happens to our... Our, our hard drive. Something happens so that we, we, we start realizing, wait a second, obeying Jesus is part of what I'm chosen for, made for. It's an amazing thing. Matthew 28, you all know this, the Great Commission. What does Jesus say is the main reason why we have church? What's the Great Commission, the primary foundation for the church? He says, go Go where? I'm not telling you. But wherever you go, go and make disciples. 
teaching them to obey all my commands. That's amazing. Could you imagine having a teacher who says, look, I want to disciple you, but you don't have to obey Jesus? Could you imagine the well-intentioned falsity of that kind of teaching? When the Great Commission, the guy who died for the church says, look, I died so that you could be an expression of who I am, and here are your marching orders. Go make disciples, teaching the people that you're going to care for to obey my commands, to get the train out of the station. And, and, and you're going to see that's not a bad thing, that's really a great thing, because we were made, when we are born again, we're remade to obey God. And then Ultimately, when we're discipling people, we're teaching them to do things God's way instead of our own way or the way of the world. I mean, Jesus is pretty smart. He makes it simple. Part of our job is in wisdom and in love with a lot of patience and a lot of grace is teach the people that have been entrusted to us to learn how to navigate life by doing it God's way. I mean, that's like a bottom line thing. It takes a lot of people's skills and love and patience. But it can't get more simpler than this in 1 John chapter 5. This is love for God. Y'all ready? This is love for God. These are His lilies to obey His commands. Those are His lilies. Not to do it right. Not to get it all right or do it all at once. But when, 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 when your way starts conflicting with His way, Something's got to give, and it's a good chance that your way, no matter how well-intentioned, is probably not nearly as right as God's. And yet, you just, you just look at God's way and your way. You hold your way just a little more lightly. But, you know, love one another. Love your neighbor. That's great if you've got a nice neighbor. But notice this. And His commands are not burdensome. I, I want to really encourage you, one of the biggest deceptions in, in the world is the idea that God's commands are burdensome. That the command to obey, all this stuff is just such a bummer. It's a, it is a huge, demonic deception. Oh, being a command, you know, we're under grace and all that. That is a deception. Let me tell you why. God's saying, from the big picture, doing things my, my way is not burdensome. We experience God's commands as a bummer. Oh, man, I know he's not a Christian, but dang, he's hot, and look at the product in his hair, and he's got the bling with the cross, and he plays guitar, and he's learning Christian songs. Lord, can't we just negotiate, right? And, and oh, man, that's a bummer. There'll be a limitation. You know that whiny thing? When, when our will and God's will conflict, you go, oh man, right? Or, you know, don't cheat, don't do this. Oh, but I like to, and I make a little... There's, there's something inconvenient on the front end. And actually, have you noticed when God says, you know, that person who did that horrible thing, you need to forgive them. Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Because they hurt me, I'm devastated, and all that sort of stuff. That's a hard one. God, you were just so hard on me. That's, that's how the deception works. But stand back and go, where, where do things get burdensome? Let's say you have unforgiveness in your heart. Cultivate that for a while. 
cultivate it and just let it go. It's like a weed. It starts taking over your whole garden. And then after a while, you look at your whole garden. So where's the burden now? Where's the bummer now? Where's the bummer now? The bummer is that God's way on the front end seemed like he was being a real meanie. And so you go, well, I don't want to be limited. I know you love me. Grace covers everything. You know, all that stuff. And so you do things your way, and then you have a garden full of weeds. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I just, look, giving Jesus lilies seems like a burden on the front end. But every time, every person decides to do it God's way and keeping on doing God's way, every time you keep on doing it, the testimony is always God's ways are right. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But on the front end, it doesn't feel like that. Many times when you, look, God says do this, you need to do that, you sound just like my father. Guess what? God is not your earthly father. He's not the one who beat you. He's not the one who was a religious jerk and never made you feel good. He's a good father. His commands are way different than any other commands you have. Really, the burden comes when you go, I've got a better idea. I mean, just to make, I know people, look, God would never just force heaven on me. I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus, right? And I know the gospel says, please come. And it's even place where obey the gospel, but that sounds a little too harsh. I'm just going to live my own life, know that God loves me, and maybe one day I'll give my life up. Seriously. Think about that. After you have that conversation, you go outside and get hit by a truck. Let's talk about a burden. Giving your life to Jesus, giving the ownership to Jesus of your past, present, and future compared to a future without Jesus, where's the burden? The burden is probably those, man, I wish I'd said yes to Jesus. This is love for God. These are his lilies. Just do what he says. Even if you, if you don't do a good job at it, just get the train out of the station. His commands are not burdensome. They're not. They feel like it, but it's only because his way is conflict. I mean, go pick up your gum. I thought God was this picky little tyrant. Just pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. But I'm telling you, when I finally just picked it up and just threw it away, I felt great. I felt free. Actually, in John, it says, in John 8, you know, the ones who are my disciples, they put into practice, they obey what I say. And they keep on doing it. Those are the ones who are really free. Isn't that amazing? In John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and prays about them, no. Whoever has my commands and does something different, no. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He's the one who loves me. I mean, have you ever done this? You know God wants you to do this. He asks for forgiveness or humble yourself or even take a step and say, all right, God, the spiritual gifts scare me, but here I want them. I mean, there's something, God, and you just go, I'm not quite sure about that. I'll do something else that I know I can do. I'm going to give him roses instead of lilies. Right? Does God receive the roses? Absolutely. Does he smile? Thank you so much for all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but his heart is looking for the lilies and he will never go, where's my lilies? 
You know, he's, he's really not the church lady. <laughs> Isn't this special? If you give me roses, no lilies. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But we got to know that God's lilies are just doing what he says. You know how we learn to, be, to, to follow God? By following God. Isn't that deep? Really. How, you, you, can't, you can't learn how to follow God just in theory. You just got to do it. And you go, ooh, this is hard. Oh, this is fun. I never knew I had this in me. Wow, I've got gifts. You, the only way you, you can follow God is actually following God. And to follow God, he tells you what to do and you do that. That's following. And, and that is giving him lilies. Here's another one, John chapter 21. You know the story about Peter. Peter, I love you. I'll, you know, I'll protect you, right? And then he just bails when things get tough. Can you imagine being Peter, having a genuine love for Jesus? A genuine love for Jesus. And then he fails Jesus, really screws up as a Christian, as a Christ follower. He just really blows it. Sees Jesus crucified, buried, and he's going, oh, can't believe I did that. I betrayed the one that my heart loves. Oh, what am I going to do? And I'm sure he was tormented, feeling just a little guilty. And then he sees Jesus, you know, and he jumps out of his boat, and he runs, oh, what runs? He swims. Well, he's like one of those loons or ducks. No, he just goes, and then he's reunited with Jesus. He's really happy. Oh, Jesus is alive. How'd you do that? But here, imagine being Peter. I'm so glad you're alive. I betrayed you. Is this going to cost me? Do you love me any less? You know his internal culture was really burdened by his betrayal, by his failure, by his screw-up. So Jesus pulls him aside and said, Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. Of course I betrayed you. And then Jesus says, well, just feed my sheep. Wait a second. I just told you I loved you, but I didn't want a job. And, and, and the job, you're actually entrusting your sheep to me? Lord, don't you know that I'm a fail? Do, I mean, have you ever just had that? You know God's just calling you, leading you something, and you feel utterly disqualified because of who you are and where you've been. And God brings his purpose, his plan for your life right next to your failures, and you got a chance to choose not what's the right course, but who you're going to love. Are you going to love your past, your failures, all your excuses, or are you going to love God's plan for your life? So, second time around, Peter, do you love me? Oh, I know he's going to zero in. He's finally going to say, no, you don't because you betrayed me. Of course, Lord, I I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Oh, great. Now you're going to give me a youth ministry. (laughs) Great. Kids, I mean, if they know how I, I I screwed up. I'm overenthusiastic. I cut people's ears off in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Right. Great testimony. Lord, Lord, I know you know everything, but I think you're being a little bit of an idiot. Don't, you're calling me to this, and this is what I've done? And it goes third time around. Peter, do you love me? And you know Peter is reeling. He's going, I know he's going to kill me from what I've done. No. Jesus is in the process of delivering him from his worship of his past. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. I love you. Feed my sheep. 
How many times does God call us to do stuff and we go, I'm a jerk. My character is screwed up. God knows that. And many times, he will cast vision for your life and you get to decide what are you going to love more? What God has for you or your weakness, your excuses. I know a lot of young men, a lot of young women, but mostly young men, they get great calls from God and they know they lie. They know they're this. They know they're just sort of really immature. They know that. And they, the call of God scares them. And so they try to live two lives. When actually God is sitting there going, would you love me by saying yes to my call? And if you say yes to my call, along the way we'll take care of all those other things that disqualify you. We'll redeem all those things. Does that make sense? This is not theory. (laughs) This is real life following Jesus. But listen, there is a struggle with obedience. There just is. Imagine, let's say I have a 12-year-old, and I go, go clean your room. Right? (laughs) Are you curious? And the kid goes, okay, sure, Father. Right? And he's, he's away for like an hour, and he comes back, Dad, you know that command you gave me? clean my room. It just really pierced my heart. It was just awesome. I, I really meditated. I, I, it just, it got me so, I memorized it. <laughs> clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Dad, I can do it in Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> and you go, awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Thanks for the roses. But did you clean your room? No. No. Go back, clean your room. And comes back, Dad, you know, I really feel, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting toward it, but as I was preparing to clean my room, the Lord gave me a song. And it's a song that I really think is going to help a lot of children learn how to obey their parents, especially in the area of cleaning their room. Dad, you want to hear it? Clean your room for Jesus. Right? And... Wow, man, that's the song. I think, yeah, Dad, it'd be a great fundraiser, right? Fun missions trips, we'll just get CDs. And that. that is an awesome kingdom idea. Great. Thank you for the roses. But would you please go clean your room? Okay, okay. Now he doesn't see his son for the next couple weeks. Where you been, son? Well, I've been working hard. I've been, you know, going to school. And then, you know, I got you know, football practice and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I've been staying late every day after school. I started a small group, uh, just amongst our peers, and it's an outreach. It has people who are not saved. But our theme is, what would a clean room look like? <laughs> and we just talk about it. And, you know, we Google it. You know, there's nothing strictly speaking in scriptures, but we bring scriptures and we Google it and, you know, there's YouTube things and all that. And man, it's just incredible. We know so much. Wow, man, that is like a truckload of roses. But would you please go clean your room? Right? Listen. My daughter, um, Anna, the way we're set up, we have a living room. And just a little bit, there's a long hallway, and at the end of it is my, you know, our bedroom, and then to the right is, is Anna's. And early on, she liked making messes, and she didn't like cleaning them up. Um, but one time I said, Anna, you know, you told me you're going to clean your room. Go clean your room. And she goes, okay. 
Yeah, she's pretty compliant. So she goes. She's there for a couple hours. And I'm sitting on the couch, and she comes flying down. I mean, zipping down. And we do this a lot. She'll take off about three or four feet from the couch and launch herself into me. And I hug her and kiss her. I tickle her. She tries to tickle me. You know, we just, it's, it's father, daughter. Oh, you know, it's just what we do. And she runs into me, and we've done it before, hugging and kissing and talking and laughing. And she goes, Dad, you are absolutely the best dad in the whole world. I love you. And it's just real, it's sincere. I love you too, right? And I'm holding her. And I just whisper, did you clean your room? (laughs) She looks at me and she goes, no. (laughs) Go clean your room. All right. She goes and cleans her room. I mean, don't we do stuff like that? Don't we do that? Oh, I love you, Jesus. You're the best God. You're victorious. You're awesome. I know that thing you want. Here's your roses. (laughs) It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And God doesn't condemn us. But the issue is, do we want to give him roses or do we want to give him lilies? Do we want to speak our love language to him or do we want to speak his love language to him? Here are two things that will ease the struggle. You know, when you have the struggle, it's it's a real one. You know, our will, the will of the world, all that is going to conflict with what God commands and it's going to feel like a struggle. How do, we, how do we really resolve it? I want to obey no matter what. Well, you know, that's a bummer sometimes. Just stand back and realize two things. Just consider who it is that calls and commands us. This is not like Mike. I mean, he's a smart guy. It's not me. This is actually God. What's in Scripture is written by God. I want to say two things about God. God is really smart. He's, look, if there's a noted brain surgeon and me, we're standing here and you, you, know, you, you have a tumor you know, just growing inside your head and, you're, uh, and you come to me and, and you go, what do I do? And I go, man, I think a couple aspirin and an ice pack. And that's exactly what you want to hear. But you really want to go to the brain surgeon and say, this is a problem, okay? You, that, that when it comes to what the right thing to do is, you want to go to the, the one who knows the most. And guys, I'm telling you, you have experience, you have wisdom and all that, but you bring that up to what God says, it's not even a close second. God is smarter than any, I mean, it bothers me that I, I try to cut mutual non-aggression packs with God as if I'm a qualified negotiator. As if I've got something to bring to the table where God would go, yeah, I get it. All right, sorry, I'll let you go. No, God, when he commands, he knows what he's doing. This is not this distant being that just commands just to show off that he's God. This is a guy who knows stuff. He made us. He's got huge plans. And what he says is always right. He even tells us in the scripture, all my ways are right. I mean, the smartest guy in the world says, all my ways are the smartest things in the world. So every time you have a conflict between what you're comfortable with or what you, and what God says, just don't trust yourself. Just don't. Don't do it. Love your neighbor. 
<sighs> right? Or forgive your spouse. <sighs> or stop cheating on your wife. Oh, have you seen my wife? All these sorts of things. Just go, he's smarter. And here's the second thing you got to know about God. He's really smart, and there's no one, no one who will love you more than God loves you right now. No one. Now, this is not a small thing. This can put you over. You have this and this. You may think you love you. Other people may love you. But the guy who tells you what to do, he loves you more. There is no one in your life who has laid down his life for you. No one knowing everything about you, past, present, or future, says, I will die for that so that I can have a relationship. There's nobody. There is nobody who loves you the way Jesus does. And so when he commands things, he's doing it because he's really smart and he knows what's best. Stand back and go, thank you, God. This is going to be hard. Would you teach me your ways? Sure. Teach me how to do it your way. I'm telling you, it always pays off. Always, always. And here's the second thing. Usually when God commands us to do something, we feel very poorly qualified to do it. Oh, I can't do it. It's going to be hard. It's all right. Just consider how God equips you. Many people look at God as the wrong way. I command you to do this. Go do it. And then come back and I'll inspect your work. That's not God. God, he commands us, and if we're open, he will train us, he will equip us, he will give us what we need to be able to see the nature of our conflicts and give us the wisdom to choose the right thing and the power to follow through on doing the right thing. I think it's really great that we get filled with the Holy Spirit. There are a whole bunch of things. We get touched by God, we get delivered, we get healed, just the sense of his presence. It's all good. But did you know that being filled with the Holy Spirit is really the best way to learn how to give Jesus lilies? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was completely surrendered to the ministries of the Holy Spirit, to the power and person of the Holy Spirit. He's still God, but at the same time, he is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And he's led by the Holy Spirit into a battle. He's led into conflict between God's ways, his Father's ways, and the ways of the world. He was hungry. There's opportunities for pride. There's opportunities to... And the whole temptation, that whole thing in the wilderness, is Jesus going, I'm equipped by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will show me what the nature of the conflict is. I know what you're saying, but this is what God says. And what God says, that has life. Or, you know, I'm not going to... Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to test my Father. It's just an amazing thing. Because He was filled with the Holy Spirit... He could accurately see the nature of the conflict and he had the power to choose rightly. Listen, what we're full of is what will lead us. Think about that one. It only works in America. <laughs> if you're full of fear, if you're full of anger, full of bitterness, you're full of pride, nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? Guess what? That will lead you. What you're full of, that is what you'll fight with. In times of conflict, 
your default will be what when you surrender to the holy spirit say lord you know what he'll do he'll fill you and he'll start displacing what you're full of and plant new things he puts you in a position to give jesus lilies isn't that cool Holy Spirit, right now, we don't have to do anything else but to choose. We, we choose right now, as is. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? We choose to surrender to your ministry. However you want to touch us, reveal things to us, strengthen us. Uh, I ask especially, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us in such a way that the conflicts that we see, we'd be able to see them more accurately. And we'd see that your way, because you're smart, because you love us is always the right way would you give us the discernment to see your way and then the courage and the power to do things your way even if they're imperfect at first so lord i i ask that you would equip us to give you lilies in a greater way than before and god for those of us who are far from you we know we're your we're, we're your kids but we're not, we don't even give roses anymore. We just sort of, we know you're kids, but we're just doing our own deal. Uh, the Lord says, don't try to do anything. You are my lilies. Just come on home. Just come on home. You are my lilies. For those people, they're here, they, have, they haven't received Jesus. Maybe they're here under compulsion. Jesus says to you, listen, all you got to do is to say, my way is not the right way. If you give yourself to Jesus, you are giving Jesus the best lilies in the universe. Holy Spirit, I ask, just in a really gentle, sweet way, you just stir us up to go, man, we'll give you the roses, God. But give us a passion to give you the lilies that we would embrace obedience as, as full of life. It's your way not some swear word or something to be feared. God, teach us how to speak your love language. We know it'll satisfy us. And we all know that as we obey you, you'll get the credit. Other people will notice what you've done in us. Amen.